Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and this podcast is where you'll find the space to clear your head and calm your heart. Make yourself at home. Thank you so much for listening in. I'm Rachel, and I'm so glad you're here. I hope you'll take a few moments to simply listen and lighten your load. Today's podcast may seem a little bit of a strange topic. It's one that you might not understand unless you've truly experienced it. And yet you may recognize the characteristics of this problem in a friend or loved one. Today, I wanted to chat about brain freeze. Yes, I said brain freeze. Now I know that you might think that brain freeze is what happens when you eat a popsicle too quickly, or for me, Dove chocolate ice cream or a Reese's Klondike bar. It just tastes so good, but then there's this sudden pain that shoots through the roof of your mouth into your head and the result, brain freeze. Sudden pain, instant headache, ouch. But no, today that's not the kind of brain freeze I'm talking about. For anyone wondering, what does she mean? This was my best Jim Gaffigan head voice. I'm talking about the brain freeze that happens when you've experienced trauma, loss, or grief. Maybe you've needed to abruptly move homes or cities. Perhaps someone got a new job or someone else got the job. A relationship ended. A loved one didn't recover. I don't know your details or your story, but I can tell you from my own experience that numbness from pain and heartache is very real and it can affect your mental capacity to think clearly and make decisions calmly. Honestly, it lowers your mental functioning capacity and can even lower your physical functioning capacity. It's different than clinical depression, in my humble opinion, yet I wouldn't say it's always pure grief. I suppose health professionals wouldn't call it brain freeze, but as someone who's experienced what I feel to be a monumental loss of brain power, brain freeze is the best way I can describe the agony of feeling like you can no longer think for yourself. It's when emotion has seized your mind to the point of making even the simple act of thinking feel like an Olympic feat. I've heard this issue also described as brain fog, and maybe that is a good analogy, only I'm here to testify that using the term brain fog makes one believe that will lift within a day or so. The brain fog that I've experienced from watching my daughter suffer from disease for over two decades and the trauma from watching her fight for breath for four days before she went to heaven was way more than a fog and it did not lift within a few days. For some of you listening, trauma has resulted in a new way of living, a way that makes you feel so much slower than it did before the accident, before the disease, before the divorce, or before the loss. You always feel like you're behind everyone else. You need more margin in your life than others seem to. A jam-packed schedule is no longer fun if it ever was, and when someone asks you to do just one more thing, it feels like your head starts spinning so fast it's going to fall off. I get it. I truly do. So how do you function when your brain is healing from the hits that life has handed you? I want to share some things today that I've found help your brain heal from the functional fog that lands on it whenever severe pain or injury is introduced, whether physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. 
as you may have guessed by the technical term of brain freeze. Can you hear my air quotes? But I have walked through many years of grappling with this issue, and especially the last two years. And I want you to know that someone else on this planet does understand that weird feeling you just can't put your finger on. That filtering problem you have with noise overload when noises never used to bother you. Or that struggle to think well on the fly. You tell yourself, I thought I was over fill in the blank. Why can't I think straight? I just want you to know that trauma causes our brains to go into hormonal overload and you are not going crazy, though it may feel like it at times. In the last episode of this podcast, Why God Why, I mentioned the term neuroplasticity and how God wired our brains with an incredible ability to shift and change. That is why we naturally ask questions. It's a mechanism God actually uses for our good. But today I'm mentioning neuroplasticity again because this ability to be healed is the way God created our minds. And I believe there are steps we can take to promote that healing on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, because I have experienced them. But before we dive into them, I want to make sure you hear this. The word healing is an interesting word. As a word nerd, I checked out the dictionary definition of healing, and it can be an adjective or a noun. So it can describe another word or it can stand alone. As a verb, it means tending to heal or therapeutic. But as a noun, it means the process of becoming or making sound or healthy again. What I found to be interesting is that either way, there's no definition that is instantaneous. Each definition declares that healing is not a flash moment with a sudden change. It's a gradual moment by moment, choice by choice process. Now, I think most of us prefer the blind man healed kind of miracle. We want God to touch our hearts and minds with one scripture, one moment, or one message and experience full, complete, miraculous healing of mind, body, soul, and spirit. Now, God can do this as evidence throughout the New Testament. And yes, he's still fully capable of instantaneous healing. But the questions for us today in the category of coping with a foggy brain are twofold. First, How much healing are we willing to experience? Secondly, if we are willing, how do we receive that healing? How much healing are we willing to experience? For me, this meant asking myself, am I gripping the awful suffering I've watched my daughter go through so tightly that I'm holding it closer to my heart than the fact that she is healed in heaven? Isaiah 30, 15 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You see, I don't want to go through the remainder of whatever time I have on this earth living in a fog. I want my brain to be lifted from the fog, healed from the brain freeze. So we're back to the second question. How do we receive that healing? It's not as difficult as it would seem, and although you won't leave this podcast with instantaneous healing from the trauma or grief you've walked through, I have to share the four words from this single verse that have helped me with finding relief from brain freeze. In repentance and rest is your salvation, Isaiah says. The first word is repentance. 
No, I didn't do anything wrong that caused my sweet girl to die. There's no shame or guilt to cope with because our family did absolutely everything we could to shield her from pain. So when I read this scripture, the second statement that says you would have none of it, I wanted to follow that direction. And in repentance, I started praying, Lord, help me be willing to take the time to heal. Forgive me for gripping the hurt so tightly that I can't embrace healing. When the scab begins to form, I don't want to be ripping it off again. Repentance was making my heart in tune with God's, allowing nothing to come between us. One of my favorite books on the topic of loss is Jerry Sitzer's A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. And I want to read an excerpt from the book, That was life-changing for me. Jerry says, We feel the pain of our present circumstances, which reminds us of what we have lost, yet we hope for future release and victory. We doubt, yet try to believe. We suffer, yet long for real healing. We inch hesitantly toward death, yet see death as the door to resurrection. This ambivalence of the soul reveals the dual nature of life. We are creatures made of dust, yet we know we were made for something more. A sense of eternity resides in our hearts. Living is both difficult and vital. It stretches our souls, challenging us to acknowledge our mortality and yet to continue to hope for final victory. The victory Jesus won for us in his death and resurrection. A victory that awaits only on the other side of the grave. Remember Isaiah thirty fifteen. In rest is your salvation. Y'all, I realized that in order to cope well through the brain fog I was experiencing, I needed to rest. Spiritually, I needed to rest in the Lord. Mentally, I needed to give my brain some space to process. Emotionally, I needed margin to breathe. Physically, I needed regular sleep patterns. What did I do to accomplish this? You're going to think this may be too simple, but I'm just going to break down and share with you the things that worked for me. Spiritual rest looked like making sure I did not miss my daily time with Jesus, and I didn't rush through it. I rested in Him. I soaked in the Psalms reading one a day. I read and reread the daily passages of Scripture for whatever Bible reading plan or study I was working through. I wrote down my prayers so I could look back through my prayer journal and recognize the daily choices that promoted healing in my heart and mind. That was my spiritual rest. Mental rest started with less phone time. I've always kept app notifications turned off on my phone, but I also leave my phone out of the bedroom. I was able to adjust my work time after Taylor passed away to doing more physical work and less mental work. As a freelance writer, blogger, and author, all of my work is mental. I went from a vivid content creation schedule to focusing on one major goal a month so that I could free my mind to rest mentally. I'll just be honest, for about a year or more, when 7 p.m. arrived, I had nothing left to give. I have battled to be present for my husband and children in the last two years, and I knew that I wanted to be more present, so I guarded my mental state. I still don't consume loads of news, especially bad news. I scroll on social media very little. I choose who I follow on social media carefully. This is what mental rest looks like for me. Building white space around my mental health is critical, and I accomplish that through choosing information channels that I allow to enter my brain. Emotionally, finding rest 
looked like pulling back from some social settings. Notice I said some and not all. It's never healthy to withdraw from all relationships. God created us to live in community. I believe that with all my heart. But there were times that friends invited Matt and I out to dinner and we said no. There were times that I managed to get myself to church, but as soon as the service was over, we left without saying many words to anyone. At times, emotional rest has looked like removing myself from situations where I knew that people just didn't get the grief because they were incapable of getting it. They never lost a child, so how could they understand? Emotional rest meant not having to feel like I needed to explain my feelings or responses. And sometimes the best way is to step away from a lot of social settings. And then physically for a season, I went to bed much earlier than I prefer to. I really wanted to allow my brain the opportunity to rest. And honestly, I was so exhausted. I simply had to go to bed. But I will tell you that I don't think sleeping in is a good answer to obtain more rest. While there are times that that can help, it's not a good long-term solution. Through getting up at the same time or close to the same time each day, we promote our bodies to obtain a natural rhythm of rest. This helps our brains. Isaiah thirty fifteen reads, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Through the four steps of rest we just walked through together, I found quietness and trust were pivotal choices. I've seen others who've walked through trauma, loss, and sorrow make the choice to rest, but they did not choose to quiet their heart before the Lord. And the same worries, fears, and anxiety face them because they fail to believe that God is who he says he is and he always keeps his promises. As I mentioned in my book, One More Step, they trust God for eternal salvation, but they fail to trust him for everyday solutions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is ever my reminder. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In the book I mentioned earlier, A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer, he kind of says it this way. I started to pray to the very God I hardly dared to trust, inviting him to do whatever was necessary to change my life. I can think of nothing, no moment in time, event, decision, or effort that marked a turning point or led to a major breakthrough. I'm not even sure that is how real change occurs. God simply used the stuff of ordinary life to expose my weakness and to develop my character. The process was so gradual and subtle that I was never really conscious of it. It just happened as slowly and surely as a tree grows. I contributed the raw material of my life, offering it, as the Apostle Paul wrote, as a living sacrifice. It was the best I could do. It was, I realize now, the only thing I could do. I let God have his way with me. A few pages later in the final chapter of Jerry's book, and I should explain a little that Jerry has written this book because in an instant, a tragic accident claimed three generations of his family, his mother, his wife, and his young daughter. And in the final chapter of the book, he shares a story about William Cowper that I wanted to share with you. It says, William Cowper, a poet and hymn writer from the 18th century, sometimes wrote that he could not quite believe. He suffered from severe mental illness. His mother died when he was six years old. His classmates often teased him at school, and his father prevented him from marrying the woman he loved. 
He panicked when he learned at the very end of his course of study to earn a law degree that he would have to take his bar exam before the House of Lords. He tried to commit suicide. After spending a year in an insane asylum, he moved in with a Christian couple who cared for him. Mental illness continued to plague him and he often fell into a deep depression. Perhaps that's why he could write such superb poetry. The following lines from his most famous hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, illustrates his confidence, often fragile, in God's benevolent sovereignty. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Healing takes place one choice at a time. To be healed of brain freeze, it all starts with spiritually resting in Jesus. I don't think my brain has fully physically healed of the trauma and sorrow I've walked through because of the decades of watching our little girl slowly lose skill by skill. It's marked in my brain. I still forget simple things. I sometimes misplace things, but I am seeing progress in the healing process. As Helen Keller says, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. And that, my friends, is today's thread of hope. Today's concluding segment on my desk recaps the resources I recommend to assist in the healing process. A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. I also mentioned my book, One More Step, Finding Strength When You Feel Like Giving Up. And also on my desk right now is the 31-day Bible reading plan and journal, Rest for the Weary. This digital download will be our July Bible reading challenge encouragement to rest in the Lord. And although not mentioned in this podcast, one other book I'm reading right now is Dream Big by Bob Goff. The subtitle of this book is Know What You Want, Why You Want It, and What You're Going to Do About It. And that's all I have to share on my desk. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.